supported by SAF Markets. SAF Markets provides comprehensive analysis and commentary on foreign exchange and asset markets. A multi-asset approach incorporating FX, fixed income, equity, and commodity markets. As nothing is permanent, we strive to get ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. SAF Markets, getting ahead of the curve. Hello, and welcome to In Conversation with Sham Devani, where every so often I will engage in a dialogue with experienced market professionals. Today I am joined by Mukesh Rajani, who is a former senior partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers, with 35 years' experience across a wide range of industries and sectors. After being one of the youngest PwC partners in London, he went on to being actively involved with business in India for 25 years and established, developed and led PwC's India Business Group. He's a key participant in the UK India Business Council, where he was a group board member for seven years, working with businesses, governments, stakeholders and partners on trade policy, ease of doing business and a special relationship between the UK and India. Mukesh's breadth of experience across different corporate sectors and focus on business between East and West allows him to offer a unique perspective on international commerce during our changing times. Mukesh, thanks for joining me. The contrast between not only different countries, but also between different sectors during COVID-19 lockdowns has been quite extraordinary. How generally, in your opinion, are business models going to change because of what we've experienced this year? A sort of before and after COVID-19, if you like. I think even before COVID arrived, uh, there was beginning to be impact on business models uh, given the existing circumstances we, face, we were facing. And these were, for example, associated with the uh, growing disparity in wealth amongst uh, individuals, nations, and generations, the demographic changes that we were finding uh, across the globe in terms of the younger generation, the older generation, and the worker population. The disruptions that were being caused by technology, climate change, and the impact of artificial intelligence and big tech. So all of that was already beginning to test some business models and whether they would be fit for purpose going forward. And I think what has happened as a result of COVID-19 is, as we've seen, there's been enormous personal, economic, and social damage. And it's laid bare some of the unviability of many of the business models that we've acutely been sort of aware of in the past. It's also led to some shocks to long-established principles um, and and thinking that we were all used to when designing business models. For example, what what are the obvious ones there? I think that the the acute shock I think that we've had as a result of COVID is for for once, at the same time, we have a, a supply shock and a demand shock. And we're facing a recession, which is probably difficult to predict in terms of how it's going to last, but it's also going to be very, very severe indeed. So these two extra shocks have added on top of what um, disruptions were occurring anyway. And this has in- immense implications, I think, for business and also for governments in terms of the economic, fiscal and monetary policy. So COVID has now become top of the agenda in terms of business models and added to some of the thinking that will be required in terms of designing models going forward. So you then ask, what sort of factors are affecting the thinking on business models today and what needs to be done? And yeah. to my mind, you can look at this in two parts. Clearly, there's a role to be played by governments 
and there's a role to be played by corporates. And from a government perspective, clearly, they're doing a lot to help the economies and the general population sort of get out of this mess. As a result of which, you know, they'll have to start raising a lot more funds, help restart businesses and create jobs going forward. But from a corporate perspective, clearly, at the moment, the focus is very much on the lockdown and managing that, managing the health of their people and seeing what can businesses do. So essentially, what they need to do is to restart their businesses, rebuild their revenue pipelines, repair the damage that has been caused to the supply chains, and really bring back and reintegrate the employee populations to their business. And how typically I would expect them to do that is in three possible ways. One is they need to repair the damage that's occurred to their uh, uh, businesses. They need to rethink their model and by that i mean reimagine what the future might be like post covid because there are fundamental changes there and how can they reimagine those uh, conceptually at very least events and likely scenarios and ensure that their businesses are adapted to that and as part of that i think one of the key things that they'll need to do as we've seen as part of covid is to see whether they should have platform-based businesses how they might integrate technology how they might integrate artificial intelligence and robotics in their businesses, and what their geographical footprint will look like going forward. And of course, the pressures on localization that will exist uh, given the circumstances we faced uh, is part of COVID. Now, you mentioned something, obviously, supply chains. One thing that has become a little bit clearer over the past few months is the reliance on China. Now, when you combine that with the current politically harsher climate that that is emerging. It potentially seems to create a lot of opportunities for others. India uh, comes to mind, as there have already been reports of potentially redirected investments away from China and into India. Now, you've spent a lot of years uh, dealing in businesses and trade between the UK and India at a top level. What's your opinion about that? Yeah, I mean, clearly, COVID has put a spotlight on supply chains. We've seen a lot of disruption due to the lockdown. Um, we've seen logistical problems in getting products from A to B. We've seen supply-related problems because a lot of the uh, production factors in China were shut down partially or otherwise. And we've actually also seen intense competition amongst countries for supplies. For example, we know there was shortage of critical goods, whether it's medicines, PPE, etc. So I think people are clearly now attuned to the fact that should we be relying for our supplies on one particular location or not? I.e., should we have our eggs in all, in, all our eggs in one basket? And as a consequence, I think China being the world's major producer or, or, or manufacturing location for the world is going to come under scrutiny in terms of what we do um, going forward. So I think it's fair to say that there is pressure on localization. There is pressure on making sure that your goods are either manufactured locally or through locations that are diversified, i.e. other than China and many other locations, and so on. So I think diversification will be on the agenda for many, many corporates and governments in terms of reliance, especially on strategic goods. And does India benefit from that? I think India will in part benefit from that, as will other countries. Because we've seen, for example, Japan creating a fund to encourage some of their uh, companies who are manufacturing in China to try and relocate back to Japan. 
we've seen Modi re-emphasize his Make in India campaign, and now looking to encourage uh, the people to buy goods locally and to manufacture locally. So yes, countries like India, potentially Vietnam and other Asian countries are likely to benefit as the world examines its supply chains, um, the problems they had as far as the lockdown. There's, there's no doubt about the case. Now, as far as India is concerned, clearly uh, Modi has been doing a great deal uh, as part of his Make in India campaign and is also courting other corporates, as we've read um, in the US and elsewhere, to see if he can encourage more and more of the production that is happening overseas to be manufactured in India. Are some reforms needed to speed that up? I think that's absolutely right. Um, India is known to be a place where uh, it's not easy to do business. They've made enormous strides um, in, in reforms over the years. From a World Bank indices point of view, you know, they were 142 quite some time ago. They've got themselves down to the, the lower 60s, but there's more to do there in terms of ease of doing business, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's strengthening or rebuilding some of their existing supply chains so that it can become a bigger player uh, in terms of the manufacturing hub. Something that's, you know, something that's come up um, recently over the past few weeks is some of the policy changes that uh, India has put in place as a response to the coronavirus, about them not being aggressive enough. And there's mixed reports. There's reports that say they're simply not aggressive enough. And then there's others that say, well, whatever policy one puts in place now cannot satisfy everybody and overnight results shouldn't be expected. But instead, the administration in India is thinking much more medium to long term. Is that something you've you've experienced or, or the way you see it? I think so far as reforms are concerned, India has been pretty good at introducing them and recognizing the change that is required. But inevitably, whenever reforms are done, um, they are going to take some time to, to bed in. And the priority right now for the government must be uh, to look after the disadvantaged, to look after the displacement that's occurred, to recharge the economy, to return to high growth levels as far as quickly as possible. It needs to create jobs yeah. in large numbers, anything from 10 to 12 million a year for the younger generation and so on. So that has to clearly be the immediate focus. And allied to that, the focus on attracting foreign investment in various areas, um, including um, whether you call it technology, local supplies, defense, etc for which uh, clearly uh, work is required as well. So inevitably, those sorts of thing, things are going to take less immediate or more medium-termish, but they're, they're, their heart is in the right place and they're trying to do the right things. Mm. The United Kingdom obviously is leaving the European Union and um, wants to strike trade deals with various other countries. The trade between the UK and India, uh, given what's happening globally, given what's happening in Asia, given what's happening specifically to the United Kingdom and, and Europe, uh, are there closer ties between the two countries or are they just as they were or, um, or are there less? There have always been very strong ties and bonds between the UK and India. And if anything, they've got better over recent years. And if you talk, talk to, to the Indians, they also see Brexit as an opportunity to do more with the UK. So substantial engagement going on between the UK and Indian governments uh, in a variety of areas. Uh, they, they both um, feel that this is an opportunity to do more, 
and I think we'll do more. And, and a number of sort of uh, areas are being examined by both the governments as areas to focus on uh, for, for future investment and so on. So I think what we're going to see is that, you know, as part of Modi's Make in India program, as part of Modi's program to do more locally, inevitably they understand that they need to collaborate with other nations. So that will open up uh, opportunities for UK companies and an opportunity for the UK companies to demonstrate uh, what they can add in terms of value, technological capabilities, R&D, higher education, healthcare, and so on and so forth. Right. Some of the areas in the UK is quite strong. Yeah. Now, given how quickly many companies have found themselves uh, in trouble during the lockdown, do you think there'll be dramatic changes in general financial operations or cash flow management in large organizations? Should they have, for example, much larger reserves after what has turned out probably for the vast majority as, a, as an awful year, 2020? Yes, uh, I think one can't deny that they will need to beef off their uh, sort of uh, cash, positions, cash positions and reserves going forward. But I think right now, if we, if we think about it, a large number of corporates are going through a difficult time as a result of the lockdown. We've seen a large number of steps being taken by many of them to, to survive and, and, and contain their businesses. And governments have stepped in to help both the large businesses and the small businesses, especially the small businesses in particular, uh, to, to manage themselves in this time of crisis. So I think the immediate focus for corporates is going to be, how do we restart our businesses post the lockdown? How do I go about rebuilding my revenue? How do I go about generating cash flow and how do I go about sort of making sure that I'm preserving it and spending it on the right amounts. So with that in mind, I think that large corporates with less debt on their balance sheets historically are likely to come out better going forward as they would be in a slightly more secure position, may have more money to invest and may have an advantage in getting up to speed relatively quicker than those corporates who perhaps uh, were heavily geared or heavily borrowed and may have distributed their earnings much more quickly than before. So, that, so my feeling is the highly leveraged ones will be left a little weaker as they come out of, of lockdown and their focus might well be concentrated on repaying the, the debt that they have amassed um, as part of the survival process and that will reflect their ability to invest and create excess reserves going forward. So in general, yes, I think they will need to, to, to rebuild their reserves um, but, even, but for many, it could well take a, a, a long time, given the battered balance sheets that we have for many companies. Yeah, now I can, I can appreciate that uh, different organizations are going to have different balance sheets. Uh, however, do you think that, uh, you know, are certain sectors a little bit more obvious uh, than others in terms of, you know, a little bit stretched on the debt side or a little bit healthier? Are there any that stand out in, in particular to you? I think what we've seen is, again, if you draw some examples from the lockdown, uh, which are the companies or sectors rather, not company sectors, that have done uh, well versus those that haven't. And we see that from a sector perspective, it's the technology companies, those with platforms, those with digital ones, that have done extremely well. Yeah, you take the, the examples of, of, of Netflix, of 
increase their, their subscriber numbers enormously during the lockdown period, whether it's streaming of music, videos, or whatever. Yeah, you look at what's being said about some of the technology companies and platform users like Zoom who have subscriber numbers that are enormous uh, and, and, and rising. So it's very clear that you know, technology-led companies, uh, pharma-led companies, some of the consumer and grocery-led companies have done rather well during the lockdown and will come out better. The ones that have clearly haven't done well, as we all know, is some of the airlines, some of the aviation companies, some of the hotels and tourism trades. And many of them have been burning cash fast to survive and to keep their sort of employees on the road, so to speak, whilst all of this is going on. So there are some clear um, um, examples of some of the sectors that have been sort of rather well and those that haven't. And to my mind, as a result of that, going forward as part of your new business models and planning, many of these corporates will need to look at how can they bring in artificial intelligence, robotics, and other stuff into their organizations so that things can be less impacted by external shocks that they might find to their businesses. Yes, I think we've come full circle. There's something you mentioned earlier. Now, what surprised you most about this year so far, obviously because of this, uh, this coronavirus situation? And, and in terms of your expectations looking ahead, anything really stand out? I think one of the things that was pleasing to note out of this lockdown process is the speed at which some governments, whether it's the UK and US, reacted to events, at least from an economic point of view, and supporting the small businesses which are vital to all of us and trying to help them out from a funding and survival point of view. But on the whole, I think going forward, we're gonna have a tough task ahead in the sense that when we had the financial crisis, a lot of money was poured in and it took us five to 10 years to get out of it. This time around, the amount of money that has been poured by the governments is far more than that. So I think it's gonna be a long haul uh, for corporates uh, to come out, or any governments indeed, for them to come out um, from these events, could be up to a decade or more. On top of that, I would hope that what will happen is that as business models are revised, as we understand what the new norm is, and as we adapt uh, to the new circumstances, the, the community out there, the investor community out there, etc., will not just rely on GDP growth and EPS, for example, as, as the key measures for, for businesses, uh, but they will also have other factors and new factors which are taken into account as part of making sure that companies are delivering in a way that helps, helps us build a better world. Mukesh, thanks very much for joining me. 